Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. I'm at Commander's Palace in New Orleans Garden District with a couple of guests I'm really looking forward to introducing you to. Over the past 12 months, I've had lunch with a wide range of New Orleans business people, from startup entrepreneurs to super successful superstars. But my guests today are both in the superstar category. But I wonder if you walk past them in the Superdome or in the supermarket, if you'd recognize them. There's a fair chance that you could be shopping next to John Elstrott in the Whole Foods Market on Magazine Street and not know that he's the chairman of the board of the entire nationwide Whole Foods Market. And that's just one of John's many current positions and past achievements. John Elstrott, I've been trying to get you on out to lunch since the day we started the show. Uh, thanks so much for coming. Glad to be here, Peter. This is, uh, you know, my, my assistant Jennifer was doing the research on you, and she came back, and all she wrote on the side was the hardest working man in business. So you're like the James Brown of, of entrepreneurship. <laughs> they, uh, I wish I could dance like James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> my other guest on Out to Lunch is another person I've been trying to get on the show forever. Michael Heck is the king of New Orleans and Southeast Louisiana business. Michael is the president and CEO of Greater New Orleans, Inc., He's one of the people personally responsible for the amazing renaissance the city of New Orleans is enjoying. Michael, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Peter, thank you for your kind and greatly exaggerated words. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is, and if it wasn't for you, Michael, we wouldn't have this show. The show's about the Renaissance, and it's really about I you. I feel like I'm being set up, but thank, <laughs> no, thank no, I promise. Thank you. <laughs> you don't even have to pay for lunch. That's not how it's going. Michael, let's talk to you for a moment, because I think your personal business trajectory says a lot about where we're going as a city. You've worked for Fortune 100 companies, both Coke and IBM. Uh, you were the assistant commissioner to Mayor Bloomberg in New York City. You came to Louisiana after Katrina and led the quarter billion dollar small business recovery program, as well as setting up the 90 million Louisiana revolving loan fund. It's a first of its kind in the nation. Presumably, in 2008, you could have gone anywhere and done pretty much anything you wanted. What did you see in New Orleans that made you want to be here? And I don't mean to prompt you to give the standard New Orleans booster sales pitch. I, I mean you as a person. What in you made you want to dedicate yourself to this city? Well, I, I think it was, it was two things. Uh, first of all, it was actually my wife, uh, as it often is. Um, my wife is, uh, is Danish. She's a UN brat. She's grown up around the world, some of the greatest cities in the world, uh, London, uh, Vienna, the Middle East, Australia. And uh, when we left California, we took a trip around America in a little pop-top camper. And we came you through... You were like Tocqueville, just kind of... The, the, the whole situation, 10 weeks, 15,000 miles. And when we came through uh, New Orleans, Marlena turned to me and she said, you know, we should move to New Orleans. It's the only place in America you actually know where you are. And I said, you know, uh, we've just gone through 1,000 miles of Texas. What does that mean? Well, it means that in, in a world of, uh, of increasing homogeneity, that this place really stands out, and particularly after 1,000 miles of Outback Steakhouses through Texas, um, it does. So that was kind of the personal impetus. But to be honest, at a, um, at, at a more kind of calculating level, 
Um, my family's from New Orleans. I've been watching New Orleans, and I'd always uh, suspected that New Orleans, kind of from a private equity standpoint, was like an undermanaged asset, and that it had great intrinsic value, and with the proper management, that value would be allowed to shine through. Cities are like people, and sometimes it takes a near-death experience to have a, a person or a city or community recognize its challenges and adopt better habits, whether they're eating habits or political habits or economic habits. And uh, I think that's what's happening here. Uh, Richard Carlsgaard, the publisher of Forbes, said this is one of the greatest economic turnarounds he's ever seen in his lifetime. And um, at least to this point, I think that's the way that we're trending. Uh, we've done more in five years, I would argue, than any community has done uh, in recent memory. Uh, so it was something we should all be very proud of. And Michael, you had a quote I read somewhere that really grabbed me. It said that New Orleans used to be, business community was sort of built on lineage, and now it's more built based on talent. Well, I think that that's true. I mean, I think that probably the best uh, measure of that is if you look at the stats on innovation and entrepreneurship uh, in New Orleans. So before Katrina, this was a proudly uh, conservative place, almost quaint. I think uh, innovation was you know, what was going to be uh, the new shirt at Jazz Fest or the next Mardi Gras throw. Uh, and we were, I think we lagged the country by 25% in number of startups per capita. But since Katrina, with necessity being the mother of invention, uh, we've become much more innovative. We now uh, lead the country by 30% in terms of startups per capita. Uh, something like Entrepreneur Week, which John and I are both a par part of, is becoming really the jazz fest or the Mardi Gras of entrepreneurship. And I think that in general, um, talent, ability, drive uh, is beginning to be more important than simply uh, who you know uh, or where you come from. And that's an incredibly important uh, sea change for the economy of this community. Now, John, uh, we worked together at the Freeman School uh, Tulane for a long time. And your day job is executive director emeritus at the Levy Rosenblum Institute of Entrepreneurship, which you, you founded. But that doesn't even scratch the surface of what you actually do. I, I mentioned that you're the chairman of Whole Foods, but you're also on the board of 15 other companies from herbal tea, traditional uh, municipals in California to Berrier Construction, uh, the guys that build the uh, highways and bridges here in New Orleans. You have a consulting business that you're involved in, economic development and strategic planning for state, municipal governments, and the U.S. Department of Energy. This is exhausting. It would take me literally the rest of the entire show to read your resume, but seriously, any one of these accomplishments would legitimately qualify as a proud entire career for most people. Obviously, we can't all have your skills and talent, but there's, is there one thing you could share about your success with our listeners that would simply to let us know the secret of how you structure your day to get so much done? It's a little overwhelming. How do you do it? Well, Peter, uh, I'm not leading the charge on any of these efforts. My uh, unique talent, I think what my highest and best skill I have is helping others uh, realize their dreams, and particularly their entrepreneurial dreams. So I try to identify people that want to accomplish great things and make the world a better place and help them do it. And it, let's face it, you were entrepreneurial before entrepreneurial was cool. Uh, I, I, will, I will tell you that. I, and, and the other thing, and um, you know, this doesn't show up on the, the piece of paper we have in front of us, but you've done so much in terms of trying to reach out to the community uh, consulting group that comes out and uh, you take the students and, and help them help small businesses get going and... Uh, um, you know, is there something, I know, you were, I know you were a Jesuit Blue Jay when you were a child. Was that what instilled this kind of community sense for you? Well, uh, I would have to say that had, was a part of it. Certainly a, a lesson that everyone, every student that goes through a Jesuit education learns is uh, how to be a man for others. You have been a g great, ex great example of that. The, uh, now, tell me, I just read the book Conscious Capitalism, which, as you know, our dean gave us, gave us each a copy, and I read it. Um, 
How did, how did all that happen? Can you give us the, the story of your original connection with Whole Food? I've been told it was the, that natural food store out near Cafe de Gaulle. Was that how it got going? Uh, Whole Food store was a co-op uh, started in New Orleans uh, in 1977. Uh, and uh, one of the employees there, uh, a college dropout, Peter Roy from New Orleans, uh, was bagging groceries and working in the co-op. And uh, in 1980, they uh, he decided to uh, make an offer to convert the co-op to a for-profit, uh, uh, which they accepted. And uh, then I became, I moved back to New Orleans from Boulder, Colorado in 1980. And I hooked up with Peter Roy and put capital up to, uh, to help with that transition into opening up a bigger store over on Esplanade Street. So that's how I became involved with Whole Foods Store. Uh, at the same time in the early 80s, there were a number of leading natural food stores around the country, of which we were one, uh, that were getting together and exchanging best practices. Uh, Mrs. Gucci's in Los Angeles, uh, Bread and Circus in uh, Boston, yeah. uh, Whole Foods Store here in New Orleans. And uh, at this, uh, in 1980, uh, in Austin, uh, two small natural food stores merged. Uh, Safer Away and Clarksdale Grocery uh, merged to become Whole Foods Market. And we knew the guys. They were part of the Natural Foods Network that was exchanging best practices. They actually asked us, do you mind us if we use your name? We love your name, Whole Foods Store. And we said, we'll change it up a little bit, you know. <laughs> Because so, we thought we'd never compete. They were in Texas. We were in New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> well, they had a very charismatic uh, leader, uh, John Mackey. Uh, and they did ultimately become Whole Foods Market in 1980. And they grew a lot faster than all the rest of the uh, Whole Foods, I mean, the rest of the natural food stores in the chain around the country. They raised venture capital money and uh, decided to get, get very aggressive about consolidating this opportunity across the country. And, and we actually, Whole Foods Store became the first acquisition of Whole Foods Market in 1987. And that's when oh. I became a part of the Whole Foods Market in Austin. And, uh, and have you been on the board ever since? I've been uh, on the board. I didn't actually go into the board until 1994 uh, when we bought the venture capitalist out. Wow. And now you're the, now you're the big dog over there. No, the, uh, <laughs> the team members are the big dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. something that comes across in that book very yeah. much so. It is... Uh, um, I would hope more businesses take on that kind of the structure that you've, you've put together. Uh, the, the way the employees are more involved in, in the decision making and, and that the, the pay scales are much more closely aligned than they are at some companies where the chairman makes a zillion dollars and everybody else on minimum wage. That's not the way Whole Food goes. Uh, I think it is inevitable that more companies are going to adopt a conscious approach to business. Uh, because it works. This is the, going to be the dominant form of capitalism going forward. And Michael, uh, it seems to be two camps on economic development. One is try to get existing companies to move their operations here, and the other is to kind of foster the small businesses and entrepreneurs that are in a community. Uh, do you fall on one side or the other? Or? Well, I, no, I actually fall on both. I mean, you know, it's, 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 uh, I'm like a good dog. I try to eat from every bowl, you know. Um, <laughs> The, the, there, there, there are two things that we do at JNO Inc. One is business development, which is kind of what people think of being traditional economic development. That's attracting businesses to bring them here uh, and working with existing businesses to keep them here. But the other thing that we do, which is actually much more important, is called product development. That's about creating a better business product. What you want to do is create a business environment that's like a Honda, the car that sells itself. You create a business environment where the workforce is of such a high quality and quantity, the tax laws are so rational, the brand is so good, the capital is so available that the economy actually generates itself.
And, and John, let me ask you a question that people ask me all the time. Is entrepreneurship teachable? Is it? Uh, you could certainly uh, help someone who has entrepreneurial aspirations uh, by coaching them uh, and by helping them learn tools such as we offer at the Freeman School of Business. Uh, but ultimately you have to want to be an entrepreneur and that's not teachable. The desire uh, to start, create, innovate, change, uh, that you have to have. And are there common denominators in these people that, that make it? Uh, the only common denominator that found in empirical research that sort of runs across many entrepreneurs is they come from an entrepreneurial background. They had an uncle, a father, a mother, a family where entrepreneurship was part of the culture. This is uh, time to check the inbox. Uh, our producer picks a question that's come in over the last week from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, we've got a lot of questions from our listeners for these two guests. I've got one question for each of you, both very specific, actually. Uh, Michael, this is the first one for you from Makia Moody who asks, what is GNO Inc.'s opinion of the governor's parked income tax plan? If it's unpacked, what are the implications for Orleans Parish? Um, well, I would say that from an economic development standpoint, there definitely is validity to the idea uh, empirically that lower income taxes lead to higher growth in population and jobs over time. You can look at the states, the nine states that have no personal income tax have had higher growth, whether it's causation or correlation, I don't know, but you can definitely look at the numbers and it's there. Uh, the challenge with the governor's plan is that it tried to do it all on the back of sales tax, and that leads to all, a host of issues, uh, ranging from regressivity issues to issues with retail and hospitality to volatility questions. Um, what I think is that we can actually uh, make some progress, we can actually lower personal income tax a bit for everybody, lower corporate income tax, say from 8% to 5%, get rid of some of the perverse stuff we have, like the corporate franchise tax, even get rid of the capital gains tax, which is a disincentive to investors and wealthy individuals coming here. We can do that by just by doing two things. We can raise our cigarette tax just up to the level of Texas. We have the second cheapest cigarettes in the country, second only to West Virginia, uh, where I think the cigarettes are cleaner than the air probably. You know, nobody from West Virginia uh, listen to that <laughs> remark. But the other thing we can do is get rid of federal deductibility on our taxes. This is something where uh, instead of just having lower rates, we let people deduct what they pay on their federal taxes, on their state taxes. It's just a workaround. There's no constituency. Only CPAs like it. We should lower our rates, reduce paperwork, and basically simplify our system. So by simplifying our system, uh, we can get away from where we are right now, which is the worst of both worlds, where we collect less but look worse because we have high marginal rates. Okay. John, here's a question for you. Might be sort of in the weeds for your position at Whole Food, but it's from uh, the manufacturers of Iconic. And they ask, what's the process for local companies to get their product into your stores? Cough, cough, Iconic. <laughs> We uh, actually are very supportive of uh, local vendors. Uh, we even have a local vendor loan program to make loans to local vendors so they can uh, grow and expand and serve our needs. Uh, there's a big demand for local and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's what our customers are asking for. Now, as far as the process of getting in our stores, uh, the good news about Whole Foods is decisions about what to carry in the stores are not made at corporate headquarters in Austin. Individual store managers, uh, run those stores and they along with their team members in the stores decide what products to carry. So all they have to do is go call on the Whole Foods nearest to them uh, and talk to the, uh, the team members that uh, control the part of the store they're in. If it's a, a product that's going to go into the uh, prepared food section or the produce section, they need to talk to somebody who runs that section of the store uh, and that decision can be made within that store. Now, if you do well in one store, other stores in the same region, we have 12 regions, each do about a billion in sales, uh, you get picked up by other stores in that region. Uh, once you do well in one region, you can get picked up in other regions. 
So uh, you, the, the, the bad news is you can't go to Austin and, and be picked up and go into all 360 stores at once, but you can get started in a store, in a region, and expand to the rest of the country. Hey, and, and John, you've been a, a hero to some of our previous guests. We had the folks from Theodent on, and we, they were very clear about getting into Whole Food was really the key to all the momentum they got. So, so thank you for all you're doing with these folks. The, this is our uh, lunch money part of the show where we take a look at our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. The market's, uh, of course, was hitting new highs. It's been a little bit bumpy uh, uh, recently, uh, but we generally investors seem to be pretty happy. They've made back uh, everything and more from the 2008-2009 decline. And we'd like to uh, ask our guests what stock they want to recommend to put into our magic uh, lunch money portfolio. Um, uh, Michael, what do you think you'd like to add? Uh, you know, I would put Chevron in there. Uh, Chevron's got some great numbers recently. They've had, I think, 41% year-on-year net income growth. Their debt-to-equity ratio is very low, like 0.09. Their PDE is like nine, about half of the S&P uh, average of 18. So their numbers look good. Uh, in terms of the industry, I think we're about to embark on the next great energy boom in this country. It's going to be driven by natural gas, as well as deep exploration, as well as alternative, and Chevron's well-positioned. But most importantly, um, I've gotten to know the company over my past years working here, and it's just a well-run company. And at the end of the day, I think uh, what you learn in investing is you look for companies like Whole Foods or Chevron that uh, have the right policies, the right people, uh, and those are the ones that you want to bet on long-term. So I'd, I'd say Chevron. I always think of that in my student program. It, you know, the there's a tendency to people just look at a ticker symbol or a balance sheet, but when you meet the people that run the companies, it really uh, changes. Of course, they've been very good corporate citizens in town. They, they were the main sponsor for French Quarter Festival. and uh, They do. They, they realize that they are, uh, they are literally invested in the region in terms of their infrastructure, their people, and they know that stabilizing the coast and making sure that Louisiana is viable is a bottom line issue for them, and they've been acting on it. And see, that symbol is a CHV, yep. right? And, uh, and I know they have $25 billion in cash, which... I wish everybody could say that. That's They've got pretty some cash. Their market cap now is what? It's, it's well over uh, 200, is it 228 billion is coming like to mind. That, yeah. But yeah, they're a nice, well-run company, a great industry. Well, and, and John, what, what's the one stock you'd like to put in? Well, no surprise, WFM, Whole Foods Market. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> now, people might say you've grown so fast and so far already. Is there, um, what's the growth for the company going forward? Well, we're at about 350 stores now. Uh, and we think easily, just in the U.S. and Canadian market, we could go to a thousand stores. Uh, oh. There's oh, wow. certainly demand uh, for what we have to offer out there. We have, there's a clamor for us to come into other communities. Uh, but it's not just about uh, U.S. and Canada. We've uh, successfully now uh, opened stores and established the brand in the U.K. Uh, we're making real. In fact, our next board meeting in June is in London. Uh, but more than. Uh, just growing the stores, it's all about innovation. Uh, we are the most innovative retailer out there in food. And uh, we continue uh, to think of new ways to reach and please our customers. Uh, I think the Whole Foods brand is something that can be diversified around. Uh, we have made a big commitment to uh, healthy eating and its relation to overall health. Uh, we have already begun, for instance, taking our uh, thousand least healthy employees uh, and offering them uh, to go to a seven to ten day uh, healthy eating uh, retreat uh, where they learn and exercise and eat healthy foods for a week and we pay for that five thousand per employee that's five million dollars a year but we have learned how to do these programs uh, to change people's lives and we're going to start opening those up to the public we may eventually get into the, the hotel business uh, where we host these programs. Uh, there's just all kinds of directions we're going, but uh, particularly I think the direction around healthy eating and how we 
uh, do that either uh, online or through our stores. Uh, it's going to be a big initiative for us going forward. So it's all about innovation. Well, and, and John, what, what's, the, um, what's the plus for the company? You've got healthier employers, um, healthier employees mean? Uh, well, they become passionate about uh, how I changed my life and then they tell their story to the customer. Uh, so it's all about starting with your employees, making them healthier, which certainly helps your health insurance costs, but then it's all about them communicating how they took control of their lives and their diet and communicating that to the customer. That's, that is terrific. Michael Heck, John Elstrott, we could turn this into a real New Orleans lunch, order a few rounds of drinks and sit here at Commander's all day, and we'd never get to the end of all the fascinating insights you folks have into business. I'll have to have both of you on the show again if you'd like to come back. But for now, we'll call it a day. So Michael and John, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedules to join me today on uh, Out to Lunch. Uh, you guys are great. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you, thank you, Peter, and thank you to the uh, massive WWNO staff that supported us in this. They are a smart bunch. They, uh, yeah. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Michael Heck, President and CEO of Greater New Orleans, Inc., and John Elstrott, Executive Director Emeritus of the Levy Rosenblum Institute for Entrepreneurship at Tulane University, and among many other occupations, Chairman of the Board of Whole Foods Market. Uh, to find out more about Michael's GNO, Inc., and John's myriad activities, follow the links on our sites, WWNO org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. The technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. The beautiful and smart Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. On our website, itsneworleans.com, you can join our mailing list and keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to past shows and get the show as a podcast on itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live, digital mixing consoles, Eris Studio monitors, and more. More information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rashidi. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch around the table here at Command. Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.